Good morning. Wow, you're here on a wonderful day. Not only is it beautiful outside, but this place in Scripture is unbelievable. We're in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Would you please turn with me? This eighth chapter of the book of Romans is really in and of itself an amazing place in Scripture. It's just uncanny in and of itself. I think if, if, if we just had the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, we'd be fine. You know, it starts off by telling us that, that there is no longer the curse of condemnation upon us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But not only that, it says that we have been freed from the very penalty of sin and death. It starts off in verses 1 and 2. Verse 4 tells us we are able now to fulfill the law of God by walking in the Spirit. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, those of us who have trusted in Christ. And then he asks us to be careful. Do not walk according to the flesh. He says that's death. Rather walk according to the Spirit, which is life. Then he tells us in verse 11, we can change our old nature through the power of the Holy Spirit that engulfs and lives within us. The Spirit gives us victory. And what we learned last week was beyond anything that we could ever expect from God. God tells us that we become His children. He says, you have become my children. I have given you to be heirs of God, fellow heirs of my Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 15, in which you can cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, our relationship with the Lord God Almighty is so pure, it's so wonderful, that we can actually call Him Daddy, Papa. Now, in the church setting, we don't do that. I mean, it's, we want to pay respect and honor and just glorify our God. But when you're home alone and you're praying and you just want to get real real with God, just, just talk to Him as Dad. Talk to Him as Papa. Uh, you'd be surprised how... That just opens up the very essence of your relationship and your communication with God Almighty. And so we've learned that we've been adopted. Now what we also learn after we learn that we have been adopted into this family of God forever, family of God, he tells us now that we are to be glorified with him. Now we read last week verses 14 through 17, the first half. And I stopped us from going into the second half, at least to the study of it, only because I wanted to save this part. This part is kind of the bonus of who, of who we are in Christ. Because we have been glorified with Him. But with that glorification comes a price. And that's what I wanted to read with you today. So please read with me verses 17 and 18. And let's read about this price that is to be paid. It starts off in telling us in verse 17, And if children, we are heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Now watch. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. It's a tremendous verse. Then Paul states in verse 18, that he, Paul, considers the suffering of this present time 
not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to, to us. Let me read you another verse that, that has to talk about this glory of God. We are told in 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John says, Beloved, talking to the family of God, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will, what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. When God created mankind, He created us in the image of God. John tells us, when our Lord appears, when we see Him, we will be like Him. We will be with this glorious nature that Lord God has originally given to us as mankind. But when Adam fell, when Adam and Eve, through disobedience and sin, fell, we lost not only our sinlessness and our innocence, but also we lost our glory with the Lord. That's why in the book of Romans, the third chapter, the 23rd verse, <clears throat> we are told that all of us have sinned, and all of us have, you remember what it says? Fallen short of the glory of God. And so imagine, as adopted children of God, we shall one day be like Jesus. We will see Him as He is. And He took upon Himself our sin in order that you and I might share not only in His righteousness, but also share in His eternal glory. And that's what verse 17 is telling us. But as I mentioned to you, it does come with a price. So let's pray. Find out what that price is. What does it mean when He says we will suffer with Him? And, and why is that not preached as often as it ought to be in, in the pulpits across the United States of America? I think I have, a, at least from my own opinion, a, a reason on why. Let's, let's pray. Father, please, let us uh, catch hold of this wonderful grace that you have given to us through no longer being condemned, uh, freed from sin and death, giving us eternal life and allowing us to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we might walk in your power, in your victory, adopted as your forever children. Dear Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law and move me out of the way, dear Father, so that I do not hinder what you want to say to every single person here. Just Bless us, Lord, please. Help us to understand what you want to say to each of us this hour. Thank you for the music. Now thank you, Father, for the word that you have given us. Bless it, please. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Let me share with you what you already know. During our Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, he declared without hesitation these marvelous words in John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. Listen to what our Lord said to, to mankind. He gives us um, a statement. He says, All 
that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, he says, I will certainly not cast out. In other words, the assurance of, of your faith, the assurance of what you believe is in, embraced by the Lord and he will not cast you out. You come to him. He says, verse 38, I, Jesus is speaking, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Then he says in verse 39, some interesting words, words that make, ought to make us stop and think. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me. Whoa, when you hear that or you read something like that, you want to know what is the will of God for the Son of God? What did he send him for? This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But, I will raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, and it says two things, beholds and believes. The word beholds is a very interesting word. It's a word that means to examine under a microscope. In other words, to really look closely at him. Jesus says, examine me. Understand who I am so that when you believe in me, you know exactly what it is you've, you've come to believe in. And I love this because our Lord says, I'm not afraid for you to examine me as closely as possible. If you come to me without an agenda, I think you're going to find that I am exactly who I say I am. So he says, everyone who beholds me, examines me, and believes in me will have eternal life. And again, he, he assures us, he says, and I myself will raise them up on the last day. Think about this. Do you know what God's ultimate purpose is in giving you and me salvation? Have you thought about it? Why have you been, we've been so blessed, and why is it that God offers to the mankind salvation? Well, obviously, it is so we might be forgiven of our sin because only He can forgive sin and that we would be cleansed of our sin. He tells us if we come to Him, He will take our sin and He will remove it from us as far as the east is from the west, right? And then He says this, which is so wonderful, and I will remember your sin, how long? No more. No more. I will separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember your sin no more. Once he does that, then ultimately he will restore in you and me our glory. The glory that we was rightfully ours back in the garden. And he will give us his righteousness. You see, glorification, you and I having the glory of God marks in us the completion and perfection of our salvation. Why do I say that? How do I say that? You see, your salvation cannot stop short of being perfect. God guarantees it. Here's an advertisement for men's group on, on Wednesday morning. We meet at 6 o'clock. Men, you're welcome to come. Kinos. It's a restaurant on the corner of um, Imperial and La Palma. 
and it starts at 6, and we're through. You can actually leave if you have to go early. We have a bite to eat, a lot of fellowship, and a sharing of the Word. And what we're doing right now is we're going through, very quickly, kind of, the book of Philippians. What we're doing is just taking one key verse in each chapter. It's only four chapters. So the next four or five weeks, we're going to go through the book of Philippians. The reason I mention that is to offer men to come if you can. But to tell you, what we studied last week is just this very thing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul makes this amazing statement. He says, I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Jesus Christ. He does the perfecting in you. Enough about that. So you were given salvation to glorify God. How do we glorify God? That's, that's the key. Turn back to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 17. We're going to take a look at one simple little word. If, I-F. That word does not carry with it the idea of maybe or possibly or any kind of doubt. In reality, that word if is better translated since. It is an assurance. You are going to, whatever it's going to mention, you and I will go through it. So it says, since we are children of God, therefore we are heirs, fellow heirs of Christ. Not if, but since. Then it says, if indeed, well that translates really since indeed. Since indeed we shall suffer with him, we will then for sure be glorified with him as well. There are no doubts. When Jesus Christ gave the greatest message ever given, Sermon on the Mount, and he talked about the Beatitudes, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12, Jesus made this statement about suffering. He said, verse 10, Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, another blessing. Blessed are you when people insult you, or persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Note, because of me. He says in verse 12, Jesus, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Without question, Jesus Christ is saying there is a blessing that comes with persecution. There is a blessing that comes with insults and uh, persecution again and falsely saying evil against you because of who he is. Now, without question, this present world that you and I live in, this system, is under the reign of Satan. We learn that also from the Word of God. And the world, we are told, despises God Almighty, despises Jesus Christ. Therefore, it also says that the world despises the people who follow God. Now, my plea with you, my agenda for you, is to get you to a place that 
that you want to follow God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. That, that your very purpose for living is to follow after God and to glorify His name and to be glorified in Him. If you look at the pleasant, pleasant, present world in which we live, especially these last few weeks, it's been dis- depressing for me to be an American. Now, I don't usually get political, and I'm not going to get political now, except that I, I am embarrassed by what's going on in our government. I mean, absolutely, utterly embarrassed. There is so much lying and... Well, I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, who, but, but I, I do want to say this. It just it appears to me that this present world in which we live has just taken out the whole idea of integrity and character and following after God and have no sense of value. It's just whatever you can get away with kind of a thing. And it's just de- depressing as, as an older person who has been passed on from that generation before me, this wonderful world of the United States of America in which we live. That's a whole other thing. What I wanted to make sure that you understand is this present world system is under the reign of Satan. And Satan despises our Lord and he despises those of us who follow him. It is therefore inevitable, this is my point, that whether persecution comes in the form of verbal abuse or martyrdom, no believer on the face of this earth is exempt from the possibility of paying a price for their faith. So think it through. When you and I suffer mockery or scorn or ridicule or any form of persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we can take that affliction as divine proof that we truly belong to our Lord Jesus Christ and that our hope of heavenly glory is not lived out in vain. That ultimately, as verse 17 tells us, since we are going to suffer, we will also be glorified with Him. But we're to suffer for the name of Christ, which I will get to in a moment. Let me just share with you something that I wrote out that is not from here. This is just my thoughts. It's after serving serving the Lord as long as I have And I wrote, I want to, and then I said, no, I have to teach you this. It's a truth that doesn't make it to many radio ministries or television ministries or church pulpits. And why? Well, it's because this truth that that Paul is explaining to us here in verses 17 and 18 is a truth that doesn't draw crowds normally and doesn't normally fill offering baskets. You won't hear radio ministries talk about this too much. But I prefer to tell you all of God's truth rather than to either misinform or hide or distort God's word from any of us. I I find it important to you and to me that we teach everything that is written within these pages. And we don't duck and hide. And so if God wants to bless us, it's His business. It's up to Him, not us. We just have to be obedient to what we read in here. Now many people think that, that God's promises are, are positive, and they are, but, but they've been taught that with enough faith, with enough faith, everything good will happen to you. 
with enough faith, uh, you, you, won't, you won't have to worry about that cancer. You can, you can pray it away. You don't have to worry about losing that job. But you can, you, with enough faith, you don't have to worry about that. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's that, it's that, it's that faith brings upon a, 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 a restriction, if you will, within your life and my life. There will be suffering to come. There will be trials. And in, in that kind of ministry, telling with enough faith you don't have to worry, then when you go through a trial or I go through a trial, we wonder, what's wrong with me? And we go to those preachers and we say, what's wrong with me? You don't have enough faith. Heal you, you know, and all of that. You'll be all right. Give me a break. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this truth that, that if we live a godly life, we will be persecuted for our faith. And suffering will come your way. And it's not that you and I are are. are are, are non-believers or unusual or, or disobedient. It just, it's what happens in the life of a believer. I want to go back now to where I should be, and that is in the Word. Those were my opinions. But listen to what Paul promised in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Simple verse. Powerful verse. Listen to the words of Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says that all, not some, but all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ. Let me just stop there. That's only the first half of it. All, not some, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ. I stop there because that's, that's a desire in my heart. And that is my agenda for all of us. For every single service that we've had here, and, and th- you folks are just fantastic. It is my desire to pour into your thought process what God is saying to you. That's why I ask the Lord, get me out of the way. You speak to each of us. And it's, I just want you to know, it is my desire as a man to live godly in Christ Jesus. It's my desire. It's what I want. I want that for you. So, Paul writes, if that's what you want, those all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not maybe, he says, but will be persecuted. It's part of the deal. And it's a great part. Now, I know some have gone through very deep, deep waters. I get it. I, I get it. I, I don't understand all of that. I just know that those who desire to live godly in our Lord will be persecuted. You need to know that suffering is an integral part in the process of your spiritual maturity. Listen to our Lord's half-brother James when he writes in James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. James writes, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, talking to the family of God, consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when you encounter various trials. Are you kidding, James? Consider it joy when I go through trials? That's what he says. He says this, knowing, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance. And let endurance, he says in verse 4, have its perfect result, so that you might be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. That's talking about spiritual maturity. Let me give you a very simple example that every single one of us who happen to be parents will understand. And the kids will too. How many of us as parents give everything that our kids want without any question? If they ask for anything, we say yes. Hey, Gunner, mom do that to you? Nah, no way, dude. She loves you, that's why. You see, when your kids come to you and they ask for something, you can tell them, you must tell them sometimes, no. It's not what is best for them, and you know it. And then they hit you with this. But everybody's doing it, right? Uh, you guys know. And I used to long for that one. I used to long when John Mark used to come to me, Dad, everybody's doing it. And I used to pull out the, the parent card saying, No, not everyone's doing it because you're not. <laughs> and then, that, was like, that was like checkmate. That was such a great one. I never had to do that with Cass. Cass was so, she was perfect. Honest to goodness. I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that here on the pulpit. That, she was a great girl. Man, still is. Still is. She's my joy. And her middle name's Cassie Joy. And Joy fits. Two A-T. Anyways, why do we tell our kids no? Why do we say no? Because we don't love them? No, on the contrary. It's because we love them more than anything else on the face of this good earth. And we want them to grow into a godly person. And so we will have to at times say no, even though we, we, we want to do all things for them. We want to give them everything. We want to, I do, I want to spoil my kids and my grandkids. But it's not what's best for them. And so our Heavenly Father has to tell us no sometimes. Because when we consider it joy, when we go through various trials, it'll bring forth the testing of your faith. It'll produce endurance. And that endurance will have its perfect result in you so that you might be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Our Lord wants you and me to grow. And it appears that the best way for Him to help us to grow here on this earth is to allow us to go through trials. Simple as I know how to explain it. Listen to what Paul declares with confidence through our suffering and trials. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. He says, We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. He says in verse 9, We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. And we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. That not forsaken and not destroyed takes us right into the very essence of heaven itself. Even though we might be persecuted by mankind, we are not forsaken by our Lord, not ever. Even though we might be struck down by mankind, we are not destroyed by our Lord, not ever. 
Therefore, Paul says in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Renewing also stands for maturing. Paul calls this process in verse 17 a momentary light affliction, which he says is producing for us an eternal weight of, here's the word, glory far beyond all comparison. It seems to follow that our Lord God allows suffering in your life and my life to drive us into a deeper dependence upon Him all along, allowing us to have further evidence of our true salvation. Suffering seems to give evidence that we belong to God and are destined for heaven itself. It could be why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said this, he says, I, that I might know Him, talking about Jesus Christ. He says, and the power of His resurrection, and note, watch, and the fellowship of His suffering. In other words, to be hand in hand, with the suffering of Christ, being conformed, Paul writes, to his death. It's also why I believe he was so determined to say three verses later in verse 14 that he presses on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had a heavenly perspective on what was going on in his life. So ought you and so ought myself. Listen to Peter's words. In fact, I want you to turn with me, please. This is, pr- this is really important. Do you, if you have your own Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is. Yes, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter is like to the right of Romans. The last book in the, in the New Testament is Revelation. If you get to the Revelation, the last book, turn, of course, to the left, and you'll go past Jude and 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, then 2nd Peter, and stop at 1 Peter chapter 1. I ask you if you have your own Bible. If you do not have a Bible and you cannot afford a Bible, will you please come to me? I want to give you a Bible. Somehow, some way, we'll get you a Bible. And and I have a tendency to feel very comfortable writing in my Bible. What I do with my Bible is I write only in pencil. I try only to write in pencil because when I make a mistake and I learn better, I can erase it and and put the correct view in. So I'm nothing, I'm not... You know, I, I, I make sure I do, and then I, I underline in red, and then I have a, a yellow marking. If you ever want to, if you have a yellow pen that bleeds through your pages, come see me. I have a yellow, I found a yellow marker that doesn't bleed through. It's a, really a, I don't know what it's called, but I'll show it to you. And, and they're not, I don't know if they're expensive or not. I, I, I have a bunch of them. And anyways, come. If you need a Bible and you can't afford it, I will give you a Bible. I want you to have your own. And here's why. I want you to read out of 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. And if you take notes in your Bible and you want to underline some words, I would encourage you to, but only if you want to. Just make it your own. But the first verse I want you to read is verse 3. And it's, a, <clears throat> it's one of those magical verses. Now, Peter wrote these words. Peter was a fisherman. But Peter could have been a poet. I mean, Peter had a way with words. Listen to what he says. Blessed, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, that is in and of itself the gospel. It is the most wonderful, wonderful verse. Verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, watch where Peter goes with this thought of this wonderful salvation that we have through this being born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, verse 4, We have obtained an inheritance which is, catch these words, it is imperishable. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. It is, watch, reserved in heaven for you. In other words, you have a place in heaven. When you go there, you can say, table for John, you know. Oh no, better yet, you mansion for John. You know, you have a, a, a mansion that he is even preparing for you right now. It is undefiled. It is imperishable. It will not fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. Note, verse 5, he's not through. <clears throat> it is protected by the power of God through faith, your faith, my faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, he says in verse 6. Rejoice in what? Now Peter gets real about your faith and my faith. Look what he says. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now... For a little while, if necessary, and I don't know for sure. I'm going to look it up and let you know next week, if I th remember. I think that word, if, there, is since. I don't think it's doubtful. I think it is a certainty. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials and or sufferings. In other words, you rejoice even though you are going through trials. Note, verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it was tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, here's that word again, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, it appears that your and my eternal capacity to glorify God in heaven itself is going to depend upon our willingness and how we suffer for God today while we are on this earth. Now, turn with me to back to Romans chapter 8 and look with me at verse 18. Paul begins by saying, For I consider. That word consider is a lot like that word if. In other words, it is very important. The word consider, the Greek, is L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. -I. It refers to a conclusion that is made after a very deep and careful study. So Paul says, after I have deeply and carefully con considered or studied this, he not merely suggests, but he strongly affirms that any suffering for the sake of Christ is a small price to pay. Watch what he says. Verse 18. That the sufferings of this present time, in other words, this time here that you and I are here on this earth right now, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me add in these other words, in heaven. Eternally. There's no comparison. Interestingly, the word suffering there 
is P-A-T-H-E-M-I, which refers to only two people, only two groups, really. One, of course, is Jesus Christ. The other group are believers. So the sufferings of both our Lord and believers are done in His name. Now comes what is perhaps critical to this understanding of suffering. We are warned not to suffer for doing what is wrong, for ungodliness. Listen to Peter's strong advice in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 13. He says, But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Let me repeat that. I mean, what is with these guys? Are they masochists? To the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But, verse 15, key, make sure, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. Now, troublesome meddler is in there with murder, thief, and evildoer. (laughs) Troublesome meddler seems to be just like a gossip. Verse 16. Again, he makes the, the the contrast. He says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed but he's to glorify God in his name. All of us have gone through difficulties, every single one of us here in this room, to one degree or another. I remember it was a little over a year ago. I don't read Facebook. I don't don't know what goes on, but I know that we were going through some turmoil and some people were leaving the rock. And they were leaving upset, some. And so they decided to say bad things about us. And I was told and read it, that I was an alcoholic. You ought not to follow me. So I had to go before the congregation and say, I don't drink. Even when I was not a believer, I didn't drink. I'm not an alcoholic. But that was out there in Facebook. Somebody wanted to discredit our church and discredit me. And then they went on to say that I was like Satan and a liar and blah, 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 all of which was not true. Not true. If we suffer as a believer, we're not to be ashamed. But we're to glorify God in His name. He says, therefore, in verse 19, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. I I just want to caution have people around you that, that are willing to tell you no. Have people around you that are willing to tell you the truth. I've been blessed to have Dan and, and, um, and Rob Selleck and um, David Briggs, who have really, we've decided to really hold each other's feet to the fire and not allow us to become anything but what God wants us to become. And I would encourage all of you to have friends like that that, that, that w- would not be afraid to tell you, you know, you, 
you're just a little off base here, man. And let me tell you why and, and, and be willing to, to repent and, and do whatever it is to make yourself right with God. But I want to give a word of warning to those who do not know the Lord. For goodness sakes, don't suffer for doing what is wrong. There is no spiritual blessing in that whatsoever, that type of suffering. For those who live for this life only cannot look forward to any comfort for their soul. Their pain, their loneliness, their grief can serve no divine purpose or bring any divine rewards. I say that not for us in this room. Um, I've been told that there are people that are, are picking up messages that we do over the Internet. And I've been told, for those who listen on the Internet, God bless you. I love you so much. Thanks. I've been told that there are some that are li listening over overseas, missionaries and stuff. Um, who, who would have known? Um, but for those who are picking this up and don't haven't trusted in Christ yet, I beg of you, come to Christ. Don't suffer for just for doing what is not right. But as followers of Jesus Christ, I speak to us here now. Our suffering comes from mankind. That's true. Sadly, some. Mankind who are saved, some who are unsaved. But our glory comes from God. Our suffering is earthly, but our glory is heavenly. Our suffering is short-lived. Our glory is eternal. I want to leave you with this thought. Um, if you're going through difficulties, and more than likely some of us are here in this room. I want you to remember James, our Lord's half-brother, who said, consider it, James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the, the trials that you are going through will produce endurance. And endurance will have its perfect result, resulting in your completion and your perfection and bringing you to maturity. That was a bad quote of, uh, of James chapter 1. Let me say it correctly. Here it is. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result in you, so that you might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. I know... Some of you are going through deep waters. My brother over here is right now. And uh, in fact, this is, his son is in 180, so he decided to come again to hear this message because he told me in the first service and his family told me that they needed that message. Um, I know sometimes it's hard to go through difficulties. I get it. I'm not, I'm not naive. I know it hurts. Trust in the Lord. Without question, I want you and me to live a life that, that desire to live godly in our Lord. Knowing, therefore, we will be persecuted. It's just part of the, part of the battle. Now, before I close in prayer, let me tell you I love you. Um, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I want to tell you from the very depth of my soul what this place means to me, what you mean to me.
coming to church like this and, and getting to see your faces and loving you like I, I have the privilege of doing. I told the service yesterday um, at, at First Baptist, and I said to the first service, I'm going to say to you, if I were to pass away this week, I'm fine. I'm, I'm no, no health warning that I know of. But I mean, if I were to pass away this week, I'm so thankful the Lord allowed me to preach this message. Um, because this message is not a popular message to give, talking about suffering. It's difficult. It's, it's hard to tell people, hey, come to Christ, you're going to suffer. Yay! <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we will. In that will bring about in your life maturity, spiritual maturity. For some of you that have been going through really deep, difficult walters, like, I mean, I call this one lady that used to come to our church all the time when we were at Del Rio, and now she can't come because her arthritis is so bad she can hardly get out of her house. And I call her and, and tell her how much I love her. Um, she's been suffering forever, it seems like, for almost her whole adult life. How do you, how do you say, nice, congratulations, you're still suffering? You know, you just, it's not a good message. It's hard. I get it. I do. But I love the, I love the Lord more. I almost spit on them. In fact, I probably did. I love the Lord so much more. And I'm, I would be fearful not to tell you the truth. I want you to be everything that God wants you to be. I want you to, to desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. I do that. I want to do it with you. So thank you for being a part of this church. Thank you so much. And, and God bless you. I love you very much. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.